0: do you see it recording? Yes. Groovy. That's my question. He said that he believed Orlando to be a victim and that he didn't want any medical intervention and he didn't want to report. But as we discussed earlier, there was a lag time in identifying Orlando Anderson. So it was my understanding that he wasn't ID'd. So I'm trying to figure that out. Help me.
1: Yeah, and I'm I do not remember Orlando Anderson being ID'd until uh, Tim Tim Brennan showed up. If he was, I don't remember that, but I just know that we were focused on him as a person of interest because he's the guy that's in the video getting beaten up.
0: Vilified, deified, it's hard to find anyone apathetic about rapper and actor Tupac Shakur. By the time of his passing, September 13th, 1996, he'd sold millions of records. In death, the prolific musical artist would sell millions more. 27 years ago, it was clear to me how influential Tupac was, and I went in hard in reporting the case and scored a number of exclusives. I was the first journalist to get the now infamous beatdown video at the MGM Grand, the first to get the search warrant affidavit that pointed to Orlando Anderson, and TPD for that matter, as being responsible for Tupac's murder. I was also the first and only reporter to get interviews with the original team of Las Vegas Metro investigators. 27 years later, once again, an exclusive. I exclusively interview now retired Las Vegas homicide detective, Brent Becker. Nothing's off the table. I'm London Ozizwe reporting. Tupac's murder was his case. The Transcripts, part one. Monet Renoir Degas. When I think of those impressionistic painters, it makes me think of the grand jury testimony that led to the indictment of Keefee D for the murder of Tupac Shakur. Then I finally got a chance to read the transcripts. You may be saying about now, what? Let me explain. Uh, Let's go back to the beginning when I first started reading the news accounts of the testimony. Well, it was just a drip, a splotch, a splatter. My first thought was, meh. It was a repetition of all the things I already heard almost 30 years ago. So initially I was wondering, where's the beef? Then more bits of intriguing drips surfaced. A new shooter was named. Not a new name, but a new accusation. And frankly, it immediately made sense. And I'm not saying that the new alleged shooter is the true alleged shooter, just that it makes sense a jury will decide the veracity of that testimony. Another intriguing bit of info was the idea of someone other than Orlando Anderson as being the one to allegedly snatch the death row chain at the Lakewood Mall. Still, my feeling was there was not a lot of meat on the bones. In fact, if I'd bought a grand jury testimony rib, I would have asked for a refund. But again, at this point... I was getting the information via drips, dots, splotches. Then I got the transcripts, and I got a better chance to appreciate the storytelling that went into the DA's presentation. Let me give you an example. I'm fixing to read an exchange between Chief Deputy District Attorney Binu Palau and Reggie Wright Jr., His testimony was of particular interest to me. He's one of two people I've actually met who provided grand jury testimony. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I met Reggie some 27 years ago, but likely you don't know that, and this is because of a dear listener of the podcast, Reggie and I had a pleasant phone conversation just a few weeks ago. So of course I was interested in hearing what he had to tell the grand jurors. Here goes. Question. Did the mob stand for anything? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. What does it stand for? Answer. Members of the Bloods. Question. So it's fair to say that Mob Piru was a blood affiliated gang? Answer. Yes. Question. So I have to ask your former police, your father is head of the gang unit, and you're working security and hanging out with mister Knight. Answer Yes. Question. And then mister Knight also has around him active Mob Pyru members and is also affiliated with Mob Pyrou himself? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. How does that work? Oh, snap. That was just a glimpse, a splotch, a splatter of the testimony. The more pieces via the transcripts, you get a better idea of the case the Clark County DA is building. And when I step back, the dots, the drips, and splotches have come together to show a strategy, not unlike what would happen if I were to move from an extreme close up to a wide view of a painting by Monet, Degas or Renoir. It's up to you to decide whether what happened during the grand jury testimony is a masterpiece, but LVMPD and the Clark County DA's office did achieve their objectives, an indictment some 30 years after Tupac's murder. For me, the grand jury testimony is fascinating, in some cases, surprising, and some blanks, not all, were filled in. What would you, how would you characterize it?
1: I, from what I've seen of the grand jury, I didn't see any big revelations. There's a couple things that came up that we've known about, but there was no evidence to indicate that. And there are, some things that came out that, well, I'm, most of the question marks are things that were read from Davis's book, and he made some statements in there according to what they read that there was absolutely no evidence that that happened. So that's that's, I guess, what he's saying happened would be the revelation but there was no evidence to indicate that those events happened.
0: Well, you were name-checked many times, and we are going to definitely get into that read of his book, but what did you think about being name-checked?
1: I guess I didn't notice that.
0: (laughs) You didn't notice that your name is mentioned several times?
1: I really didn't pay attention to my name. So I guess if I was, it wasn't, if it was, it was maybe just whatever we did back then, but.
0: Well, it's voluminous. There are 300 pages plus. I, I heard people saying that many pages, I really don't want to read it. For me, I was like, I can't wait to read it because it will provide more context and more information after all these years. What I'd like to do is to go chronologically and split the episodes into two. One will be testimony from Detective Mog. That will be part two and part one will be everything else. All right. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. So again, I thank you for being willing to do this. I know in the previous week, You were otherwise engaged, as was I, but I'm very happy that we have an opportunity to go through this. And just to reiterate the following, the grand jury by its very nature is secretive, only the prosecution presented witnesses, and everybody is under oath, which makes it quite different than what people may have seen on TikTok or YouTube or Instagram stories. I'm not saying that everything is true, but there are consequences if you don't tell the truth. So you've already given me your overall reaction and I'll share a bit of mine in the fact that when I initially started reading and when I saw articles about the grand jury testimony, my first thought was, well, a lot of that information was available 27 years ago. So what makes this different? And I will say after reading it, I found a lot of things incredibly fascinating. So, And what's still missing is what actually led to an arrest considering so much information was either available 27 years ago or a decade plus ago. Would you agree?
1: Well, I'm, I'm sure what led to the arrest was his confessions and interviews in the book because we didn't have any of that back then.
0: Right. But that began in 2018.
1: Right. This well, was, I, was, I think was, he did an interview with Greg Kading before that. Correct. Yeah, but that's still... And nothing happened. after That was still after the fact. Well, nothing happened because it wasn't shared with Las Vegas in the beginning.
0: Well, uh, we're gonna definitely get to more of that, but let's start with volume one and some of the names that we see, and they're familiar to you. One uh, you spoke about before Mark DiGiacomo and you described him, and I'm using my own street lingo here, as something of, as a, of a shot caller. In the legal realm
1: Mark, yeah mark from what i remember keep in mind it's been a while but i'm sure he's only gotten better mark De giacomo when he came to the da's office to me anyhow seemed very sharp and i thought he had a very promising future with the uh clark county district attorney's office and it apparently he does
0: yeah and are you familiar with the name, and forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, but with a name like way and even Lena, I get it myself, but Binu Palal?
1: No, that name doesn't ring a bell.
0: Okay, because he also asked the witnesses' questions as well. He, They're both chief deputy prosecutors. That's their official title. And,
1: and I can see there being more than one DA involved in that because, I mean, this is going to be a pretty involved case. I don't know. Do you know when Palau came on board with the DA's office?
0: No, I do not. I, I've seen some of his background, but I... I didn't get that and I probably could have dug it up, but well, I, I... And,
1: and that's okay. Because like I said, you know, once I left homicide, which would have been 2001, my involvement with the DA's office was extremely limited. If, if I even went down there, I don't remember when I was in homicide, I was there quite often and interacted with deputy DA's, ADA's, the DA, you know, all the time. But once you leave homicide where, you know, you're you're working hand in hand with them. Then when I promoted and went to patrol, that was a different story.
0: That makes sense. Volume one. July 27th. 2023. The first witness was.
1: Ken Rios. I I remember Ken. Yeah.
0: Well, tell me about him.
1: Well, I didn't have anything negative to say about him i I had some interaction with him. I mean, we weren't i don't remember being on the same squads or anything like that, but as far as I knew, he had his stuff together in fact, I think he promoted later on He was
0: there for the fight,
1: okay, and yeah, and you know maybe he was in the the video i Don't remember who all was in that. If I saw the video, I would recognize Ken Rios if I saw him.
0: So he said that after being security for the first fight with Mike Tyson, he went over to the MGM Grand and was there after the fight between Orlando Anderson, Tupac, and Suge one of the things that really got my attention in the testimony is that he said that the MGM grand employees had already taken Orlando's ID by the time he got there.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember. uh, If there's something that indicates that, you know, and if Ken was there, I would suspect, fact he did a report but I don't know. Well, I guess everything depends on what went on That's my time, question. At the time.
0: That's my question. He said that he believed Orlando to be a victim and that he didn't want any medical intervention and he didn't want a report. But okay. as we discussed earlier, there was a lag time in identifying Orlando Anderson. So it was my understanding that he wasn't ID'd. So I'm trying to figure that out. Help me.
1: Yeah, and I'm I do not remember Orlando Anderson being ID'd until uh, Tim Tim Brennan showed up. If he was, I don't remember that, but I just know that we were focused on him as a person of interest because he's the guy that's in the video getting beaten up.
0: As I said, it really caught my attention because we had had these discussions about LVMPD not knowing who Orlando was for several days.
1: Well, and keep in mind, we didn't have the MGM video immediately either. I mean, this this happened on a what, Friday? I think it was a Friday night. The shooting or right. Yeah, the beat down and the shooting were on a Friday night. By the time we got out there from the call out, it was probably Saturday, early, early, early Saturday morning. But potentially,
0: uh, wouldn't he have written a report that you could have gotten anyway?
1: Well, he could have done a report. The question is, when was the report done and when was it completed? Keep in mind, if he did a report... He's working off, I'm guessing he was working off duty. Because yes. he's, he's working at the fight. Correct. And typically that's off duty, uh, off duty assignment, working the fights. So he would have moved from the MGM arena where the fight was, the fight between Tyson and Selden, to the hotel casino, which is attached to the arena for the fight involving Orlando Anderson. Now right. he and would have, he, he, yeah, well, yeah, but he, he still would have gotten the information. <clears throat> this was before the shooting. It's not like he would have dictated a report right then and there.
0: Right. That makes sense. I don't,
1: I don't know what his days off or because there's a, a n- news one, you've got a, a person, Who is on its face a victim that doesn't want to do anything? So now you've kind of, the priority of this is slim. It doesn't need to be done immediately because it, one, it's, you know, depending on the circumstances, it could be a misdemeanor battery, it could be a felony battery. I don't know, depending on how you go through it. Second of all, you got to remember the night of the shooting it wasn't a murder yet whether he knew th- knew the shooting occurred or not i don't know because i don't know when he went home from the working the off duty gig he may not have even known about the shooting till the next day cuz if he went home and went to bed how would he know
0: that makes sense. And it was in the middle of the night, the early morning hours where it happened when it happened. Yes. And I guess the a weekend was involved, but again, yes. and I guess that, to- that would
1: have a bearing on when he did the report because of the priority of the report is he off on the weekends. So he's not coming to work till say Monday. Maybe he didn't do a report to monday I don't know. I'm not saying that's what he did. I'm just, throwing what ifs out because I don't have any information. I don't know the facts about it. Sure. I'm just I'm just giving you potentials. He could have done a report that night, but it wouldn't have been typed and we wouldn't have got it until the following week at bare at bare minimum. And then the question is, what event number was used on the report? My guess is if there was an event, if there was an event number, it wasn't the same event number as the shooting unless it it may have got connected. I don't know.
0: Can you describe what an event number is?
1: Some places call it an incident crime. Well, it's an incident crime report. The event number happens to be when something happens or used to happen. I don't know what they do now. You get a call. The computer generated an incident event and what it did is it had the year which in this case would be 96. It would have the month, zero nine. And then zero 07 would be the day. And then it would be four digits at the end. Typically. I'm just going off the top of my head. Typically. We would have. 2000, 2,000 plus events a day, which means
0: wow,
1: things going on throughout the Las Vegas. Well, you know Clark County, because keep in mind, Laughlin comes into play here, Mount Charleston, Overton, State Line, Searchlight, because we had officers at all those locations. So if they, if they keep a, if they had an something happened that created a report well they're in that mix
0: got you and laughlin nevada too
1: yeah i from what i remember i think there were probably close to 30 plus people assigned to laughlin because that's in clark county
0: right no i did a story there once so and met don laughlin but (laughs) just to make sure that i'm clear if there wasn't a connection the way the report was, I mean, let's just say there was another beatdown in, uh, let's say, a, another part of the MGM Grand. You you need, in order to put them together, you need a number that says this one's related, not just because they're beatdowns, but this is related to this shooting. I mean, ex- you can explain it better than I can, but.
1: What we did is say you had an event number or an incident crime report, and we'll use Tupac Shakur shooting as an example. In this case, the beat down with Orlando Anderson's related. If it is on a different incident crime report or event number, there was a place on the report typically where you could put connecting reports. So, Hypothetically, you could have one connecting report. You could have 10 connecting reports. It just depends. Sure. And then those would be listed on the report somewhere.
0: Now, back in the day, would you be able to go in a computer and like type in MGM Grand?
1: Uh, I don't remember being able to do that, but I'm sure we could call dispatch. And, and probably do stuff like that. I don't remember. You got to realize back in 96, the computer technology, what's been made a big deal on here, the surveillance and video technology were substantially different. They were far different than they can do today.
0: So as I said, I just wanted to establish that because I just remembered in our conversations that there was a lag time in IDing Orlando. And I had asked the question, how come when I fell down in Beverly Hills, somebody wanted to get my ID and this was a beatdown in a casino, you would think they would have gone all in to get everything. And And
1: that might've been, that might've been, keep in mind, I... And I'm just going off my memory, Ken did a report and I'm guessing if he said he did, he did. We may not have got the report for several days again, because it may not have been, no one recognized the relationship because remember the night of the shooting, I didn't know anything about the fight involving Orlando Anderson because the People I interviewed, uh, nobody said anything happened,
0: right? But, and you asked, they,
1: and they you, knew that it happened,
0: right? And you asked the so specific, oh, you yeah. asked very specifically, did something happen before? I, I mean, maybe those weren't ex- your exact words. Well, but I was that,
1: that was the whole point when you're looking at something, you're wanting to find out, okay, what are potential reasons why this happened? And one of those potential reasons is something happened earlier in the night. And at the time, no one acknowledged that something happened. And that was probably part of the concealment factor involved with death row and people there.
0: Does the name Devonta Lee or Dirt Rock mean anything to you?
1: No, I top of my head, no. Now, if Devonta Lee's name is in our case file, It could be. I just don't recognize it.
0: He is another one of the witnesses in front of the grand jury.
1: Right. I I remember his name coming up, and I think it turns out he was DeAndre Smith's roommate.
0: Correct. But you had never. I just want to establish before reading the grand jury transcript, you really don't recall at this point again it's almost 30 years later and you didn't take your case files home but you don't recall the name of Devonte lee
1: no and was he a roommate in las vegas or a roommate in california
0: my understanding he was a roommate <clears throat> in california
1: okay because what i remember there was some sort of a connection with an address in las vegas with deandre lee rid deandre Smith, because I know we went to check on an address. There was a vehicle and stuff, but nothing was there when we got there.
0: Was that related to the PIN?
1: No, that that would have been just related to the investigation. The PIN register, I don't even know if we got anything on the PIN register because it kind of crashed and burned right away.
0: But again, to underline, you went to an address you believe was associated with DeAndre Smith. And again, DeAndre Smith was identified by this Devontae Lee during the grand jury, uh, during his grand jury testimony as being the actual shooter of Tupac Shakur.
1: And I would guess, because Devontae Lee's, if, I'm not recalling Devontae Lee's name and I'm fairly certain his name is not related to who was in the car, the shooting car. So if he had information, it had to be someone told him it and that would, that would be the question then who told him it and is it reliable? I, I don't know. It could be reliable. I'm not saying it's not, I'm just saying his information from what I saw would have been related to him by word of mouth from somebody
0: secondhand. And that is my understanding. And it's also my understanding that, and this is what really has struck me about the case after reading the grand jury testimony is how close everybody was. They went back years. If you hear Dan Vonta say it, he went to well dre went to grade school <clears throat> with orlando i mean they're, they're just people go back years and dan Vonta used to go to basketball camp with big dre and that's really how he, he met orlando through big dre so there are these very deep relationships that go back years and years and years so he does say that he was a roommate of big dre freaky dre DeAndre Smith, whatever you want to say, a couple of times. And he describes Orlando as being kind of the prince of uh, the, the South Side Crips because he was related to Keefe, which I found was fascinating. What struck you about Dan testimony? beyond what we've discussed already?
1: Well, what would be his motive to lie? I guess is the question. I'm not saying he's lying. I'm saying maybe his story is true because the argument would be, if it's not true, what would motivate him to lie at this point? What does it matter? What, whether you say Deandre Smith did it or Orlando Anderson pulled the trigger, They're both dead now. This grand jury, to me, is focused on Davis. Because he's the only living guy left, as far as I know.
0: And and the only one who wrote a self-incriminating.
1: Well, and and the only one that opened his yap and told everybody in the world things that you know, are consistent with what happened. He said a lot of things that were inconsistent with what happened, but you know.
0: Dan Vanta also talks about the incident at the Lakewood Mall. And actually, I went there and did a stand up at one point. We've talked about it before <sighs> in the podcast, but do you believe that that's something that actually happened?
1: Hey, the, of the chain the there's nothing chain. to say it didn't happen if if i remember right and again i'm just because we dealt with a couple of la county sheriff's deputies who were detectives and i, I don't remember was lakewood Mall in compton or was it in sheriff's department jurisdiction?
0: it was near compton jurisdictionally i would think and I'm not, you know, I don't know for sure. I can look it up. But I would think that yeah. they would have had, they wouldn't have had their own police department. It's not yeah. that big of a I,
1: city. Okay. So Lakewood is actually a community? Uh,
0: yes. It's okay. a city.
1: I would guess then it's probably Sheriff's Department because I think, wasn't there a Linwood station? For the yes. Sheriff's Department nearby? So I remember. I just remember, looked
0: it up. I just looked it up. It does. I mean, now, but of course things change because like Compton used to have its own police department, right? Sheriff. But uh, now
1: the sheriff's department probably would have shared that with Compton if it happened. And I want to say, I remember the conversation about Lakewood mall and the, the, the necklace thing, the death row necklace. And that was with the sheriff's office. And I'm believing it was with Compton also. Because our interaction early on with Compton was all there were, there was a, at least one sheriff's deputy, if not two, in that too. Also, because I think they worked together because they were all gang detectives.
0: And just to reiterate what the story was that some folks from Death Row and some. Folks from the Southside Crips were at this Lakewood mall and somebody grabbed the chain or, depending on the version you believe, attempted to grab the chain off somebody named Trayvon. Trey.
1: I remember <laughs> Trayvon. Tra- Tra- Did name. you
0: ever interview him?
1: No. I remember that name. And I want to say he was one of the people that <clears throat> were fairly certain was at the beatdown for sure.
0: Right. The story is that he's the one who told Tupac, hey, you know, that's the guy who ripped my chain off. Did you... This was something that was surprising to me that Dan Vontate says that before it was ever broadcast, and I know I was the first to broadcast the MGM Grand video, somebody came to him in jail and showed him the video of the beatdown.
1: Well... If they saw the video of the beatdown, it had to come from what was broadcast because the MGM is not going to provide that video to just any person.
0: This was police, he says.
1: Okay. Well, when was he in jail?
0: At the time of Tupac getting shot.
1: Okay, but he didn't see the video that day of the Not shooting. Not that
0: day, but I guess right. shortly thereafter.
1: Well, what shortly thereafter? One day, one week, two weeks? That's I, that's my that's my question. I I would be curious to know when, from when to when he was in jail, because the night of the shooting, that video one we didn't have the video right. Two, it wasn't released. You know, I don't remember it ever being released till after we got it. I, and I'm just going off my memory here.
0: Right. And as I said, my understanding is I was the first to broadcast it.
1: Well, if you were the first to broadcast it, when was that? November. Okay. So... Then the question is, and I don't remember, was it ever broadcasted on the local Las Vegas news?
0: My understanding is no, I was the first. This okay. my question is: is it possible that Compton PD
1: showed it to him? Well, I guess anything's possible. I don't know why they would, unless they to help to,
0: identify
1: unless the they needed. wanted to verify people. So but if Compton PD had the video it wouldn't have been till after Tupac died. Right. So it would have been a over week. over a week before over a week after the shooting.
0: Okay, but you never I mean they would have had access to that video, correct?
1: i believe so because like Before i said I when, when when tim brennan and i think it's lat robert ladd was his partner right. when i think they came over together uh, maybe brennan only came alone i don't remember i remember there was brennan for sure i think there was a sheriff's deputy and then i don't want to say a name because i want to butcher it uh And we, I seem to remember showing the video because we wanted to ID people.
0: Right. I mean, that makes perfect sense. But this was just the first time I'd ever heard of anybody outside of LVMPD showing a video. And again, I showed it some weeks later, but was the first. So I just was curious about that. Yeah. He also mentions, and this isn't. An essential fact, but it was surprising to me that after the beatdown, the Footlocker was really messed up to the point that they had to—they had a lot to do to restore it to its uh, uh, normal um, state. That, it, that there was really a throwdown.
1: Because you, oh, you're talking about the Footlocker at the mall.
0: Right. Okay. I'm walk. sitting
1: there going, footlocker. What footlocker? Okay. I, I, I get, I get, I understand what you're saying.
0: Had you ever heard any of that, or that wasn't of essential importance? I don't
1: think it time. was essential as far as fights, a fights, a fight. If it's a knockdown, drag, drag out, it's a knockdown, drag out. You know, the, the essential stuff is who got hurt or killed or whatever.
0: Sure. And, Depending on what you believe, the necklace fell off, it was snatched, it was... I had,
1: I had seemed to remember someone saying it had gotten snatched or ripped off someone's neck, but it could have fallen off.
0: Well, the person who said that it fell off is sort of death row affiliated, and it could be true, but it also could be like they didn't get us... You know, they didn't snatch it; it just fell. So there's
1: there's there's motivation on both sides to make it out in their favor.
0: Exactly, Dan Vonta? They also really set up what kind of person Keefe was in terms of being a major shot caller and being a friend of somebody known as Zip, who was affiliated with right Puff, Puff Daddy, P Diddy. Do you recall? The first time you ever heard the name zip
1: no i i remember hearing the name but i just don't i i can't tell you what day that was but i I mean
0: roughly was it early in the investigation
1: i just don't remember it was in what what's early the week because to me early on is within the first couple of weeks Uh I was thinking
0: more in the first couple of the first year or so, but I oh
1: oh, well I would think in the first year, yeah, easily, but
0: and what did you think of zip?
1: Well, again, that was another story that was coming out, and there was no way to confirm it, because again, we had all kinds of stories.
0: To the best of your recollection, what was the story about Zip?
1: I thought he had ties to the East Coast somewhere, from what I remember. remember.
0: Allegedly, P. Diddy, and he was supposed to be a bigger drug lord than Keefee.
1: Well, yeah. And how... I guess my question is, well what's what's a big drug lord from what i'm seeing at davis if he's a big drug lord he wasn't a very big drug lord because i wasn't living high on the hog was he
0: well that's some 30 years later
1: yeah well what was he living back then how was he living was he living in compton in his old house
0: a tough crowd
1: (laughs) you know I don't know.
0: Well, he when, talks when, I, when I
1: think of a major drug dealer, and, and granted, TV and movies have done it, but look at Scarface. and Tony Montana. You know, Pablo Escobar. And if you're talking a major drug dealer on the street, okay, that's a little different story. Because a major drug dealer, major player on the street isn't necessarily living high on the hog. He's, he's, he's enjoying his life as he knows it, but it's not as grand as some other people.
0: Like more like Walter White or Heisenberg? Yeah. <laughs> Breaking bad. Well, again, Keefe in his book describes himself as a, a baller. He talks about right. his designer clothes and the- Dan Vonta, who's familiar with the neighborhood Agrees in the book, Keefe says how he was able to provide employment to multiple people through his plug, through his drug dealing. So, you know, yeah, is
1: is that all true?
0: But apparently, Zip was Keefe's connection to Puff Daddy to P Diddy. Okay. Okay. And question that Zip had a hidden compartment in his car. And that's where he got the the get gun to give to Keefe okay. to kill Tupac. And listeners have asked me, well, was there a hidden compartment in the BMW?
1: All I can tell you from what the CSI, because every, CSI went through the car. And that would probably be more of a question for those folks. Right. As far as, because you got to remember the night of the shooting... I'm not crawling through the car. I'm I'm seeing it from the outside because CSI's got to do their thing. And the one thing we did not do is we didn't want to contaminate things by, you know, me climbing in the seat or putting my hands all over everything because they've got things to do and they have to tow the car back to the lab to process it and all. From what I remember, CSI didn't find any hidden compartments.
0: Okay, and we're gonna to get to CSI's
1: okay. testimony
0: as a grand jury, but going chronologically, the next person who was a witness, unless there's anything else you'd like to say about Dan Vanta Lee in, in no, his testimony. Because no. he was well, I'll just say a couple of things actually. He was surprising and a new name for me. Sure. And apparently a new name for you as well.
1: Yeah, and what, what what is it? Well, again, you know, I have no idea what Las Vegas has done since 2001. Maybe his name came up and they they searched him out. So the question is, did they search him out or did he voluntarily come forward?
0: Well, apparently he's been a long time I guess some people would say snitch or others would say informant that this was so his so he first could have rodeo. Been
1: a, so he could have been one of the CRIs on the
0: Exactly.
1: affidavit. Okay. All so right. It wasn't his first rodeo, apparently. All right. Obviously, Dondre Smith didn't know he was a snitch.
0: I guess not. And Keith. he he's the one who helped bring down Keefe.
1: Well, you what? What's his relationship with Keefe? Because are they from the same set?
0: Yes, that, that I was. I maybe I should have done a more expansive well, way no. of introducing him. He he grew up. He knew Orlando, and in fact, right. He in the so, grand well, then he testimony. is
1: he is the same bunch. Then okay.
0: Right. He was a Southside Crip since the '90s. <clears throat> but he when he, he was shown the photo of Keefe during the grand jury testimony. Okay when he saw the photo of Orlando Anderson, he was like starting to break up. So they had a long time relationship going back. That's what I was saying about how so many people like even Suge and Keefe, they go back to childhood.
1: Well, they're all from the same neighborhood. So
0: they
1: they would know each other.
0: Right, but it's just remarkable that they're all tied up in this event one way or another. Yeah. Okay, Uh, on to becoming a very familiar name to you, Kevin Manning.
1: Right, Kevin was my second sergeant, my last, second and last sergeant in homicide. He was all, he happened to also be my first field training officer.
0: And and indeed, I met him when I met you all, Mm -hmm. and he was very accommodating and helpful. And he was very much the spokesperson for the case in LVMPD.
1: Well, you got to remember back then, typically the sergeant did all the press releases for a case. The detectives didn't.
0: Right. But he was, I think. Or,
1: Or are you talking about for the grand jury?
0: Oh, no, I, I'm talking, I'm going back to 1996 when the case <clears throat> happened. He was pretty much the face of LVMPD on the case sure. of that sure. uh, care assessment.
1: Yeah, because he was our sergeant. It's it's He's the guy that's, he's in charge of our squad, which at that time I think had two teams. And we were, me and Mike Franks were one team and I don't remember I remember one name from the other team. I'm not sure who was the second person on the team, but, you know, I don't think we had three teams then. And uh, so, yeah, he's the guy that would, if there was any press questions, media questions, anything like that, he's the guy they're going to go to, him or the lieutenant. And initially, he'd be the one they should because Lieutenant Spinoza was a lieutenant. But he wasn't there because he was out of town.
0: During his testimony, he talks about getting the call that night, and okay. you go into that as well during the podcast. From my reading of his testimony, he was pretty much brought in to give a little bit of background about what happened that night, how you all were rolled out, and how, as you said in a previous podcast, it was unusual uh-huh. to get the call because it was not a homicide and you, were, you all are homicide detectives. Correct. Also, it seemed that he was there to establish to the grand jury that Tupac was dead.
1: Well, he would... Someone's got to go in and testify about the autopsy. You know, you're going to have someone from the coroner's office involved. You may have a CSI. I don't know but it would be good to have a detective who is familiar with the case and Kevin would have been familiar with the case. And me, I would be saying, or Mike Franks would be saying the exact same thing. So Kevin was probably the easiest one to get a hold of.
0: Okay, because there, there is somebody, a forensic pathologist who actually is the next witness during the next day of testimony. So I guess they wanted to just hit it double hard. But again, some people were wondering, and somebody asked me, why are they emphasizing so much about his death? And I was going to write something. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe because so many people still think he's alive. Do you think that that had a role to play?
1: I I don't know. I don't know why, because the point is, you got to establish that there's a person deceased to have a murder. Okay. You can't have a murder and not have a dead person. So Kevin is just establishing that Tupac Shakur who was shot on December 7th died on September 13th. And we rolled out on that, you know, from the beginning. And then we went to the autopsy
0: onto the- Dr. Linda Gavin, the forensic pathologist. What struck me about what she said was, she mentioned that back in the day, they used both Polaroid and 35 millimeter film, the medical examiner.
1: I didn't think they did anything but Polaroid back then. That's but I, what- I don't know, I don't recall. You gotta remember when I'd get there, They may have taken a Polaroid or two just to show like one, you got to realize when a body comes into the coroner's office, it's in a body bag that's zipped up and there's a seal on it. So you want to show that the bag, because there's going to be a photo of it when it was zipped up and sealed wherever it happened. In this case, it was probably UMC.
0: The hospital.
1: So someone would have taken a picture to show that, and then you got someone to show, well, we received it in the condition it was sent to us, which was zipped up and sealed back at this location. It's just a process of evidence to show no contamination, nothing was disturbed. I don't remember if they had 35 millimeter or not then. you remember 35 millimeter was the thing that everybody used because it wasn't digital then.
0: Right, in 1996, I shot plenty and developed many. I, I... Yeah,
1: everyth- today everything's digitized, so it's kind of nice. But uh, So that would have been done. Linda Gavin wasn't even in the coroner's office then. I'm sure she was there to read what Dr. Jordan did. Because doc- from what I remember, Dr. Benjamin Jordan was the doctor Forensic pathologist that conducted the autopsy, and he would have done a report. And because he's deceased, she's the representative from the coroner's office that's probably presenting what he said.
0: That makes perfect sense. But do you know why I'm bringing up the specter of
1: Polaroid? Oh, I know exactly where you're going with it. I I can't say. Because I wasn't there to see, well, the Polaroid photograph in question, which ended up in somebody's book, wasn't taken at the beginning. That would have been at the very end of it before his remains would have been prepared for sending to a mortuary. And- so
0: so you were the, not present when that Polaroid was taken, am I correct? You were not, there for the autopsy.
1: Yeah. The Polaroid image of him after the fact that was shown up isn't, well, we didn't take Polaroids. Not not in homicide, and CSI didn't take Polaroids. They took 35 millimeter. If that was a Polaroid photo taken by the coroner's office, I well, I can't say. I wasn't in the room when it happened, so.
0: As I said, when I saw the word Polaroid, based on our previous discussion. I I
1: see exactly where you're going with it.
0: Right. I mean, we we pretty much went there, but that was my question. I said, oh, they use Polaroid? Interesting.
1: Yeah. And again, it would have been at the front end that I remember if they used a Well. If, they if it use was a Polaroid, official- it was uh, uh, for official stuff. It would have been at the front end because the Polaroid that was released in the book was at the very end.
0: All right. As I said, I just, we go into the discussion about the Polaroid and you saying that that would not have been an official photograph that was in the murder book or the case. No. File.
1: Not, not a Polaroid. Now, if the coroner's office did Polaroids and they had it in their file, that's the coroner's office, and they'd be the ones you'd have to get whatever they have there.
0: Got you. As I said, I just wanted to follow (laughs) up with you because we did go into that uh, information, And and as I said, it obviously caught my eye. Next witness, Daniel Ford, CSI.
1: Dan Ford, very good man.
0: Now, what did you work with him on a lot of crime scenes? Why do you call him a good man? Yeah,
1: How We you know? worked a lot of crime scenes because he was working. I'm pretty sure he was working the graveyard shift, so he'd be coming on just before midnight into the early morning hours. And obviously I worked a lot of cases where we were called out while I was asleep. And Dan was at a lot of cases. I can, yeah, we worked a lot of cases together. I'm sure his name is on several reports.
0: Would it have been procedure for him to take fingerprints of the cartridge cases?
1: No, he would have collected them. I think that would be in his involvement now. For the dusting of prints. I don't remember if that was part of their job or Leighton Prince did that. Maybe Leighton Prince just examined the the actual latents. Maybe Dan did try to dust them.
0: It's my understanding. They have
1: they have all the equipment. They're trained in all of that stuff. Because yeah, it maybe he did, because you know, if we called someone out to we're talking like, well, even in homicide, but other scenes where you want finger say there were fingerprints visible, CSI'd be the ones to dust them and lift them. So yeah, maybe he did do that.
0: And I understand he also collected clothing.
1: Yeah, he would have collected us in particular clothing any of our victims were wearing, or if you had a potential a person of interest or someone who. Maybe they had a shirt with blood on it and you need that shirt so they can compare the blood to say the victim or whatever. He would be the one to do that at the scene too, if there was such a thing.
0: My understanding is he got the shirt from the nurse at the hospital.
1: Okay. For, from Tupac. Right. Okay.
0: Would you have been able to tell then and. Probably more likely now it would be more exacting. But would you have been able to tell if Tupac had fired a gun?
1: They could have done something to his hands. Right. Okay. Uh, GSR, gunshot residue.
0: Right. But I was wondering about the clothing first. But yes, he, he well, also
1: specifically asked. I guess, I guess there's something. Uh, I'm sure there's something. But again, keep in mind, there was absolutely nothing at that scene to indicate any other gunfire except the people shooting at the car that Tupac and Suge Knight were in. Because I know, and you'll probably go through it later, but I might as well bring it up, because I think Cliff Mogg reads a section of Davis's book or. When I read the story, it's like this is the shootout of the OK Corral out there on Flamingo.
0: You say that because
1: because it it it, it, it reports that there was, was, yeah, there was no evidence to indicate that. I I've heard the story that Tupac was pulling a gun, was going to shoot. No gun was found. There was no evidence at the scene that Tupac fired or anybody fired other than the the car. No secret
0: compartment.
1: No. CSI, Dan Ford never said anything to the effect of that. And I don't know for sure. I don't recall what he would have testified to, but at the grand jury. But my guess is he didn't see one, find one.
0: Okay. Um, and in terms, as I said, no com- no compartment, no residue that you would know of. And I mean, you obviously do wonder how much of Kifi wanting to say it was self-defense, but let's say just for uh, yucks, and it's obviously not a very funny story, but just to say for just Looking at all possible okay. uh, events, what if that was the case? Considering Th- that he says himself that he got this gun from this person named Zip, right. they went to one place, the club six six two, waited right. for him. Then they found him at another place, right. and then because they want, Keepy said, I wanted to see where Tupac's hands were. And that's why he shot him. So let's say that it's all true what he okay. spelled out. Wouldn't he still be culpable? Because he's, he's searching for, you know, he, he, he spends them. the, you know, elect, these are his own words. He gets the gun and they go searching for him.
1: Well, and that's where a jury are, are, is going to come in because typically when you have a victim who's dead, which means they can't say anything to the contrary. The person that did it is going to try to lessen their involvement in it or whatever by saying it was self-defense. The thing that comes into play here that I've said from the very beginning is Suge Knight's still alive. Suge Knight knows what happened. Suge Knight, I'm fairly satisfied knows at least one or two people in that car that shot at him. So should Knight still the kind of missing link on this thing? If, if he came forward, you know,
0: well, he's got a new podcast. So,
1: yeah, I, I think I saw something about him doing a podcast from jail. I says, well, He's probably going to benefit from it. Like I said, everything I've ever seen of Suge Knight is he doesn't do anything unless it's going to benefit him in some way, shape or form. So,
0: and I think my question though was, and I understand you saying a jury has to decide, but my question is more about the actions that Keefe says himself that he did in terms of, isn't it lying in wait?
1: He's still, if, if any of what he said is true, he says they're hunting for the guy.
0: Right. That's, that's, pre, that's, that's
1: premeditation. He says they're hunting for him to shoot him. That's premeditation. Right. That's clear and simple. I mean, premeditation can happen at the snap of a finger. But in this case, he says they were hunting for him. They went to the club looking for him. They drove around looking for him. And if I remember right on what Cliff Mogg read, didn't he say something about they realized Tupac was there because the girls were hooting right. and hollering at him? Correct. It, it kind of drew their attention to him because they couldn't see that well. So, I mean, he's putting it all out there. Is it true? I don't know. I, this is what he says in his book.
0: Right. And, and that's what I'm saying. If you're to believe every word of his book, then isn't he still culpable even though he says that Tupac was was aiming but they had just spent you know so much time searching for him hunting him down
1: well so, he was hunting him down now if if this is the shootout at the okay corral so to speak well you know that's that's very subjective on depending on which side you are on and what you're looking at but I can't say enough that there was absolutely nothing out at that scene where the shooting happened to indicate Tupac had a gun, one or fired any shots.
0: And it's possible that some of the, the cartridge casings could have been whisked away from the scene because of the scene, it was a very active scene. There were a lot of cars going by. So it's, it's very possible. Some of the evidence could have disappeared.
1: I believe some of it did because, and I'm not saying people were out there picking it up, I'm saying when this happened, remember Flamingo was not shut down at the time there's the shooting. Eventually they do the U-turn and leave. People go their separate ways because, in fact, I think there's a comment that Buntry even went directly from the shooting scene to the club. So, and Buntry was in one of the cars behind. So cars are going, in this case, is probably, there's a better chance that eastbound traffic could have picked up stuff, bounced it, thrown it, got caught in the grooves of the tire and then falling off, you know, because we had however many shots and we recovered X amount of expended fired cartridge cases. And I don't think we had, I don't recall us having all of them.
0: But even- that, that,
1: that was what, you know, obviously we can't say with a hundred percent certainty but I've been on enough shooting scenes to know that stuff gets picked up when cars go by.
0: But even with what remained, you feel confident about saying there's no way Tupac could have had a gun and shot at Keefe's car. No. Keefe and company.
1: No. There's no evidence of it. No one has said there was damage to the driver's side of that car. I don't think Keefy D is Keefy D Davis has said that.
0: Well, we don't know where that car is. Well,
1: we don't know where the car is, but the point is no one has said there was damage to it on that side and Davis makes comments about damage to another car in his story that we know is BS, so
0: uh are you talking about the toyota
1: no the the convertible
0: oh right because yeah the, the Toyota's with Reggie but on to another witness <clears throat> who you spoke to okay that very evening early morning and that's Malcolm aka Idi Amin. yes what was your take because you talked to him yeah early morning you have looked over the grand jury testimony and when you compare them side by side
1: there's nothing different the only the only difference is maybe the night of the shooting he was pretty angry because the guy's been sitting there on the gutter for the curb for a long time he probably got a gun or two shoved in his face. You know, I, I get I get where they're angry. So where when he's testifying at the grand jury, that that kind of is not part of the factoring then.
0: But he was forced to be there. He was subpoenaed.
1: Oh, so he didn't want to go there is what you're saying.
0: Well, my understanding is they say that he was subpoenaed in order to testify in front of the grand jury. Well,
1: typically you're subpoenaed. If you want to go, you're still going to get, typically you're going to get subpoenaed.
0: Okay, because the way the way they, uh, the language was, it seemed unlike other people who testified, it seemed like it was more under duress.
1: Okay, so maybe he was an unwilling participant, so they still subpoenaed him and he didn't want to take the chance that, well, then they'll maybe come pick him up because he's not acknowledging the subpoena, but he testified. Yes. His, what he said there, what he said in his statement. And from what I saw on the tape you sent of the mob museum event, there's nothing new.
0: And weren't you accused at one point of not having, not taking advantage of an opportunity to interview him?
1: Oh, there was, that's what started the whole thing. Apparently, there was a, if I remember right, there were a lot of newspaper stories. Los coming Angeles Times. Well, LA Times, whoever it was, saying that Malcolm Greenidge knows, every, I think it was basically presenting it that Malcolm Greenidge knew quite a bit, and we didn't want to talk to him. And, we had his statement, we finally were able to track him down. And then the, when the day came, he didn't say anything. So.
0: And if memory serves, there was (sighs) some bit of anger that you didn't, you really could have gotten a lot of information out of him, but you made him mad.
1: On in Compton. Yes. No, no, I don't think I made him mad before he told me he didn't know anything. It was when he said he didn't know anything, I got mad. I said, we just traveled all the way to Compton to get this big breaking news, and you're telling me that there's nothing new. That's when I got mad. I didn't walk in there mad. It was, it was after that.
0: Got you. I, I misspoke because that's, well, no, that, and
1: that's me. fine. I was still mad. Yeah. I'll, I'll freely admit that. I was pretty hot. I don't think Mike was too happy either. Cause we just came all the way to Compton and that's this guy's supposed to be probably telling us the shooter or identifying people in the car and he couldn't do anything, but I will say, and this is just Brent Becker's view that Malcolm Greenidge was probably pushed or directed by someone from death row to kind of make or maybe the 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 lead up to this was presented by death row and that Malcolm was going to be the follow through and I just think I think Malcolm was a puppet in the whole thing myself.
0: Who do you think was the puppeteer?
1: Somebody from death row, be it either Reggie Wright Jr. or Suge Knight.
0: Well, we're going to get to Reggie soon because he also testified in.
1: (laughs) Oh, and I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. (laughs) And that's
0: Jr. But I wanted to get something really clear in that during his testimony, Malcolm said that when he came over to him, you know, they were in another car behind him when he came over. Tupac told him to get down or he was going to be shot.
1: That was not at the shooting scene. I read that part that happened where the car ended up. Right. Yes. That was where the car came to a stop.
0: Right. Cause they, because they, I mean, from everything I've heard and correct me if I'm wrong, after the shooting, Suge makes a Yui quickly. So, there wasn't maybe even that much time for Malcolm to talk to him.
1: Well, so, some, someone ran up to the car, so there was enough time to do that. I don't think Malcolm did.
0: I do want to talk about that as well, but that's via another right. witness. Right. But, okay, let's establish it. Shots are fired. Right. Suge makes a a U-E. Yes. Idi Amin, a.k.a. Malcolm, gets out of the car. And talks, gets out of the car he's riding in.
1: Well, that's when they get to the boulevard and, what's it, Harmon?
0: After the car stops.
1: When the car stops. That's when Edie Amin says he got out and went and talked to Tupac.
0: Right. And Tupac says, you know, get down or you're going to be shot.
1: And he's talking about the police.
0: Right. and He's not talking about
1: whoever shot Tupac. I think he was concerned because I'm guessing there were probably a lot of cops with guns out there. They don't know what's going on at the time and
0: right. And and he says moments later there was a gun in his face. So okay. that's true. I am just still really <clears throat> not quite understanding the sequence of events in that. Right. If you listen to the paramedics who were there and they were interviewed by a local TV station. right? The paramedics say they pulled him out. Of now, the car? Well, they just say, I looked at it again, they just say pulled him out. And you hear about Suge saying, help my buddy, help my buddy. I also have heard somebody that you know of, we've discussed before, Chris Carroll saying that he pulled him out of the car. So I'm just trying to understand the scene the best that you know it. Tupac was talking inside the car and advising Malcolm outside to lay on the ground? They both were? It well, just
1: keep it just, in mind Malcolm didn't say that that night. Malcolm never said any of that that part. Now, I'm only going by what typically happens if you've got a shooting victim in a car and you don't know his condition and he's able to you would leave him until paramedics get there because just hypothetically you have a severed back or something you don't want to be moving a body because you don't know you know you moving a body from a car to the pavement could cause more damage than help paramedics have more obviously a lot more medical knowledge. Now, if the paramedics say they pulled him out, I'm only guessing they mean pulling him out of the car. Because what what else would he be in? Keep in mind, this all happened before long before I got there. So I can't understood. I'm, I just kind of I'm kind of speaking what ifs or hypothetically, because I didn't see any of this happen.
0: Yeah, I was just curious if you had an understanding of the situation because, again, from what I've seen, Chris Carroll has said he pulled him out of the car. And it also seems to be, and again, maybe we'll hear all this if it goes to trial.
1: I don't know. I'm going, we're talking about what Malcolm said. Again, I don't know why Malcolm would exaggerate it. I mean, I don't know what it is that would be a benefit to him.
0: And he also says he he saw three people in the in the caddy, which is not something terribly unusual in that. No, it's you know, witnesses don't get everything.
1: There's a lot anywhere. of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on at the time, and like I said, I don't think they were expecting anything to happen. And uh, because I can tell you from being at locations when shots were starting to be fired in the beginning, I'm thinking, well, where did that come from? You know, you're trying to get yourself oriented with what's in the area. And he's in the back seat of the car to boot. And he's probably the way I understand it his car is behind Suge Knight's car the Cadillac is going to be up alongside of Suge Knight's car. So there's going to be that angle. He's probably got uh Yafufula's yeah, head in the way a little bit.
0: Well, he also talks about seeing a dark arm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think he said that in his statement. I'm pretty sure because the dark arm was like a common denominator as far as somebody's shooting, but it dark arm doesn't ID a shooter.
0: Right. But that's, that was something that always really made me wonder because Orlando and I met him in person. He didn't have a dark arm. Right. So
1: and I guess dark is relevant. I don't, I don't know.
0: Agreed. But to a black person,
1: yeah it's kind of
0: more you know there's colorism and people notice i don't really you know unless somebody says you're dark or you're whatever i I think it's kind of a who cares but there is more of a consciousness of shade sure and and as you said even yafu fula who was i would consider on the lighter under the spectrum
1: yes i you know, do too
0: i would if he said dark arm or something i would say okay rather than just somebody you know some random person who is not of color who's not black. right right so that i get one other thing <clears throat> before we leave malcolm another question that was asked of him and it was framed as a silly question since you know the day of the shooting or since that happened have you ever heard from tupac now that cannot be a normal question
1: well and again they might they might be addressing all the rumors because you know from the very beginning when once he is it becomes known that he died A lot of people didn't believe it and probably don't believe it to this day. And now Malcolm Greenidge, who knows Tupac Shakur, who is friends with Tupac Shakur.
0: Long time.
1: You know, what does Malcolm Greenidge have to gain by saying he's still alive when he, he knows he's deceased? He knew Tupac.
0: I just thought it was a curious question to ask.
1: Well, it. yeah. And again, you'd have to ask the DA why they asked it. I I might get it a little bit because, you know, you've still got that question coming up. So you're just establishing that, yes, in fact, the man is deceased. And that's it. That don't, bl- my- don't, don't believe us. Believe the people that know him.
0: That was my take as well. So we get next to William, and I may not, or Bill, to his friends perhaps, Hydemeyer. He was a security officer at Maxim.
1: Okay. I, remember? I don't remember the name. I remember that there was a security guard, and if that's who they say it was, uh, I have no reason to doubt that.
0: And he was up up in the parking structure with some <laughs> LVMPD folks and heard for uh, uh, some, something unrelated and heard shots and looked down
1: yeah i don't remember what floor they were on i'm trying to recall that garage cuz you got to realize on the north side of flamingo at the strip i think that was barbary coast then you went down a ways to the east and I think the Maxim was there. And then the Maxim to the east of the actual structure, the casino and stuff, they had a parking garage and it was multi-level. I just don't remember how many floors and I can't, I don't recall right off the top of my head, what floor they were on. I just remember that there were other floors and a couple of cars got hit by projectiles. Pardon? I thought a car or two had gotten hit. Something got hit by gunfire.
0: Well, you you don't remember talking to him. What was really... Well, I remember
1: talking to a security guard. I just don't remember the name.
0: Do you, do you remember they, your conversation, I guess, is what I should have said.
1: I, I remember talking to... Because I remember there were officers up there. And it was something we had to look at. And I think... Dan Ford went up and recovered. I think he went up and recovered something. Well, I'm sure it was connected to the shooting. I don't think it was a separate incident that happened. I think it was just, you got to realize all this is going on. There's bullets flying from this car and not everything's in the doors.
0: They would go up. Well, oh, up into a parking structure. Well,
1: keep in mind something hit the windshield too of the BMW. Did it go through the glass or did it deflect?
0: Hmm. Because you would think if if it's, and again you're the expert here, but you're in a no. car, and that's that's you know only so high.
1: If, if it's going through the door, it's one thing. If it's going through a window, well, what's on the other side? Another window. And if nothing's stopping it, it's gonna just continue on its merry way. Unless this is just something that disintegrates as soon as it hits the first window, which I don't re- I just don't remember.
0: But, and this wasn't asked during the grand jury testimony. I'm just really curious as much as you can recall, if what was recovered in the parking structure-
1: Well, they wouldn't have been cartridge cases. They'd have been projectiles, the bullet. Remember the cartridge cases were on the street. Right. You have a cartridge case with a projectile or bullet in it and then powder. This a wild bullet. This would have been the bullet that was fired from the cartridge case.
0: Because he talks about the, the CSI talks about in essence, fingerprinting what they, they got. Okay. So they, they would right. have been able to check it against the projectiles.
1: Well, and that's why I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised if Dan did dust them. The thing is just because you got an object doesn't mean there's a fingerprint on there.
0: Oh, uh, understood. But I, I just wondered if, yeah. Just what yeah. your recollection was of the fingerprints and what your recollection I don't was.
1: remember any fingerprints being recovered from the projectile from anything being fired from a gun. I don't recall that.
0: Okay, and what the connection would have been between the projectiles in the parking structure and what they Well,
1: the now that would have been the firearms examiner because they can tell First of all, when you have a A cartridge case, it's got a manufacturer's name on the bottom end, be it Winchester, Remington, whatever it is, it has a certain stamp. There's a primer in there. When it's fired, you have an indentation. They're able, and then when it's extracted, you've got an extraction mark on the side of the cartridge case that's fired. Firearms examiners can tell you a lot of times they can give you some pretty good information, and I think in this case they did say it was a Glock. The,
0: the what the what was found on the um,
1: street in the we're, talk, we're talking about the cartridge cases right now,
0: right? Not the projectiles.
1: The I'm talking about the cartridge cases. They they identified them and they thought it was a Glock 40. Plus, you know that the ammunition's 40 because it's stamped. Now, the projectiles, the bullets that were fired from there, firearms examiners, again, can determine certain things because they have ways of weighing the object, the jacketing, the lead, and all that stuff. And that would be the firearms examiner that determines all that. Do you remember what they determined? I don't remember. So it wasn't. Uh, There would be. There are going to be reports from everybody because anything dan ford would have done a report if there were fingerprints there would have been a latent examiner's fingerprint examiner's report as to whether there was enough to determine anything and then as far as the firearm stuff the firearms examiner would have done a report
0: but you figure that if they had found fingerprints you would have known because you would have followed yeah, up on there it There were no
1: fingerprints. Cause we'd have run them. Sure. We'd have gone through APHIS or whatever they got now. I don't know. And considering everybody that was in that white car is going to have a criminal record, their fingerprints are going to be on file. So that would have been sweet. Oh yeah. If we'd had a fingerprint, and someone say, that's Orlando Anderson, or that's Dwayne Davis, or that's DeAndre Wright, or Terrence Brown. He says, sweet. Now we've got something to really play with.
0: The, we kind of went on, on a track I wasn't even expecting to go on, but I was curious. My biggest question about his testimony <clears throat> is, who in the heck is the man with the bright white shirt with a gun who was walking around that night?
1: Bright, white shirt. Who's saying this?
0: The security officer at Maxim. That When he looked down after the shooting, he saw a man with a bright white shirt with a gun.
1: Oh, down at, by the car. Yes. I'm guessing that's someone from the entourage. Now, it wouldn't have been Frank Alexander...
0: That was my first question. Because but... Frank
1: Alexander didn't have a gun, though Frank right. Alexander did go up to the car briefly. Right. Now, now the question is, is that someone from a car behind Frank Alexander? Because it wasn't someone from the Cadillac.
0: Because there was somebody in all my research and maybe too much, who did talk about being ahead of suge and tupac and he looked back and saw somebody with a gun outside and i think that was dismissed as nobody from the white caddy was outside I, the
1: car. yeah and i don't remember because i'm trying to remember who's in the videotape from the mgm beatdown because there was someone in a kind of a white outfit wearing a hat. I think that was Buntree, I think. I'd have to go back. I remember there's someone in that video that looked like Buntree. Uh,
0: and from what my understanding was, Frank was told not to bring a gun that night.
1: That's what Frank said.
0: And maybe Buntree and Neckbone were just always going to be strapped. And my understanding was they were doing that, and I believe it's Reggie Wright Jr.'s explanation is they were trying to finalize the ownership of Club 662, and the attorney had said, you, know, <clears throat> you be on your best behavior the night of the fundraiser.
1: Sure, because I'm pretty sure Reggie Jr. was at 662. He wasn't in the entourage.
0: That's what he testified. And
1: George Khaleesis was the attorney for the club.
0: And didn't he show up with Suge? Yeah,
1: he was one of the three attorneys. He had David Kenner, David Chesnoff, who's a Las Vegas attorney.
0: Oh, I know
1: a him. Criminal, well. criminal attorney. And then George Khaleesis, who was the attorney regarding the nightclub.
0: Got it. And it, it's so curious to me that Chesnoff, I, I didn't realize it because again, I had an encounter with him at Shug's bail revocation hearing. But he was a partner with Oscar Goodman, the father of Ross Goodman, who's a long purple. time ago.
1: Yes, yes, they were in the same law firm. Yeah, before. I was.
0: They were partners. Yeah, named partners. Chesnoff's been
1: around a while, and I, I, I can only guess. I'm not saying this is a fact. Because Chesnoff was there and Kenner was there. If there was going to be some sort, because Kenner's from California, Chesnoff's from Nevada. Chesnoff's licensed to practice law in California, Chesnoff's licensed to practice law in Nevada. If for some reason something has to happen in Nevada, you're either going to have Chesnoff do it or Kenner, they're going to do the paperwork with the court to get him to right on the coattails of Chesnoff, just like when we had the revocation hearing for suge knight Chesnoff was there he was doing cross he was doing examination for the defense for him to do that he's got to practice law and be confirmed or whatever that legal i don't remember what the legal term was but He's basically writing probably on Kenner's coattails as far as to practice in California. Because that, having... wasn't, that, that wasn't federal court. That was no. state court.
0: Right, for Suge Knight. Uh, but since we're having a a lawyer moment, <laughs> what do you think about Ross Goodman potentially, because he hasn't committed the last I heard, potentially representing Keefe? He was in court with him during the last delayed arraignment, continued arraignment. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, they had to get a Nevada attorney because I know you sent me or somebody sent me the video of Davis on his first arraignment when he showed up and he said something about Edie Fall being his attorney. And I thought, well, one, Edie Fall is a California attorney Two, I remember Edie Fall at one time was Orlando Anderson's attorney. So, uh, whatever.
0: I've been to his I, office. I I'm thinking if
1: Edie Fall is going to come to Nevada to be his attorney, he'd need a Nevada attorney to kind of ride on his license. Well, so, so Ross Goodman shows up, which is Ross Goodman is a noted attorney <laughs> and he's the son of oscar goodman who has quite a history
0: indeed so and just i don't know if i don't know if we i don't think we've discussed you know david kenner is involved in a case now with somebody from the Fujis, who david, kenner,
1: Dave, david kenner's involved in today's Yes. Uh, really?
0: He was in the news the other day, and I was like, what?
1: Wow. Okay. He's,
0: he's representing a client who says that <clears throat> for the closing argument he used AI to put together the closing argument. So there's some beef there. Kenner did? Yes. That's what the uh, client who is with a group called the Fujis is alleging. Huh. So, I don't uh, know. I don't he was in I don't the know. news. I saw... Well, I'll have to send you a, uh, some info on that. But I was like, "What?" Because I was reading mm. the story just about AI and courtroom closing arguments, and then he popped up.
1: So that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I had not well whether he's actually related to it or not. I don't know. It's just that's a name from the past. So
0: indeed, it's one I'll never. I mean, I was in the courtroom. I met. Interacted with Chesnoff, not my favorite moment. Uh, and you know, obviously saw Kenner a few times.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it was just shocking to see him now. Okay, we'll go back to the regularly scheduled programming. Okay. Volume five, Robert Ladd. You know him as a partner of Tim Brennan, Compton PD. Correct. Your takeaway from his testimony?
1: My takeaway of that is he's establishing the history of Compton, especially with the gang thing and the police department, but he's setting up his knowledge, which Robert Ladd would be very, very knowledgeable about what was going on in Compton, especially at that time, him and Tim Brennan, because Tim isn't around anymore. Robert Ladd's the obvious choice to be using. So he's establishing the gangs, the members. He would have been involved in investigations where names and players are coming up. So he's, I get the impression he's establishing the Compton Crip side, especially with Davis. And he's laying out his knowledge of stuff.
0: Indeed. I mean, it was a fascinating look at
1: the history He's he's laying out the history of Compton. <laughs> I thought he's he's doing what he needs to do and he he I think he did it pretty well.
0: One thing that caught my eye was this the following and the question is now among the people's residences that you did search warrants on was Orlando's residence one of those? Yes. Yes. Was DeAndre Smith's residence one of those? Yes. Was Terrence Brown one of those? Yes. Mm -hmm. And was Dwayne Keefe D. Davis one of those? Yes. Yes. So.
1: And there were were others.
0: Right. They're they're
1: just focusing on those four, but there were others.
0: In the car. But, you know, since. No, I mean,
1: other houses that were searched.
0: Right, but since those were the four in the car, that
1: right, right, right.
0: Uh, allegedly in the car, that got my attention. He also talks quite a bit about the 10-day war. And stopping right. there, in light of the testimony that you heard from Denvanta Lee and what we're gonna get to regarding what Reggie Wright Jr. says, how can you not say that there wasn't a war? between East and West, red and blue, bad boy and death row, however you want to say it. Don't you? Because I remember, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I got the feeling you didn't really think that there was an East Coast, West Coast element that led to the murder of Tupac.
1: I don't, I think there might be a difference in interpretation. Gotcha. Okay. Break it down. Do I do I know that there's a conflict between East Coast and West Coast? Absolutely. I know that Orlando or Tupac Shakur was shot in New York a year or two before this shooting, and I know that he thought somebody from the East Coast had some involvement in it biggie okay but in 95 was tupac part of death row yes okay i just i remember he didn't become part of death row until they got him out of prison
0: right and it and it had been almost a year is my understanding that he had been with death row when he was killed
1: because they had some different players involved in that shooting that they had identified I remember seeing some photos of some people from New York involving that shooting. And I remember that there was that conflict there. And yes, there was the conflict between Puffy and Shug. I think there was some conflict in Atlanta during some show.
0: Right. Well, at at a club, Jake Robles was killed, and there were shows. Yeah. That there was was, really- well,
1: and there was. I'm I'm talking more about the big TV production thing, or whatever it was. It was something to do with the industry that there was some conflict. And I know about the shooting involving Tupac and some off-duty cops and all that. But I'm talking specifically about. Yeah, there were words. I know at one time, everybody seemed to be chummy because. You can see pictures of Tupac and Biggie together in different events.
0: Right. And even I interviewed Biggie's mother, who said they, were, they, they liked each other very much. Yeah. Very and keep
1: close. in mind, Tupac Shakur was not a gang member. Contrary to what everybody wants to say, I to this day, I don't think he was a, quote, hardcore gang member he may have affiliated with people that were gang members, but my understanding of being a gang member is you got to go through some sort of initiation. And right. I think maybe someone even talks about that, but
0: Devonte Lee does and how Orlando sort of spared him and Deandre, the real
1: beat down. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, and you got to realize too, because there's pictures of Tupac back doing shows before he had Thug Life tattooed on his belly. Because when he died, he had Thug Life on him. Right. But before that, there's video or pictures of him at shows before he got that. Okay, I, I, he's not here to tell us why he did that. I'm sure there's other people that can tell you whether it's the truth or not. I don't know. But I mean, if you're putting thug life on your body, you're you're trying to make a statement of some sort, I would think.
0: Yeah, from all <clears of> the <throat> interviews I've seen, Tupac was hard. I mean, he knew his way around a gat.
1: Right. But that doesn't make you a gang member.
0: Right. And that's that was my understanding from interviews I've seen and read from gang members who were there and they also did say i mean there's a distinction made that trayvon or trey who was the one who allegedly told tupac that's the guy who snatched the that he was for real he was actually a gang member so there was definitely a, a distinction
1: i believe trayvon whatever you want to call him Compton gave us a bunch of names uh, that and I remember they were being, they were known gang members. So there was a difference between just somebody, you know, being there and someone who is actually affiliated.
0: I, I dig. Anything else you'd like to say about Robert Ladd? I mean, Tim Brennan, may he rest in peace, certainly was instrumental as
1: oh yeah him and lad because lad was part of the whole thing
0: sure you know both
1: of them so uh i i give them nothing but high credit for stuff you know i realized there was stuff that later on may have been said but whatever
0: leonard jefferson okay the man who took the photo right and we really we actually on the podcast went into more detail about what happened that night with him. And I've right. subsequently been in contact with him on online. Okay. He seems like a, a very cool dude. What what did his testimony establish? And were you surprised that he testified in front of the grand jury?
1: Well, they'd have his name. I would think you need him. Well, in my mind, again, I'm not the attorney, so I can't tell you why everything's going on or I
0: know I just want to get or your
1: what or what they got over the years or anything. But my thought is I want to establish because it's come up in the investigation early on that it was more in the car than just Shug and Tupac. Well, that photo was critical and saying no one was in the car, but them he's the guy that took the picture. So you got to uh, link. The, if you can link the guy who took the picture to the photo, that's sweet. And that's the guy. Now, if Leonard was dead, then you'd probably have to refer to reports, but you've got the guy that can directly link that and say, those were the only people in that car if you don't want to believe anybody else has said they were the only ones in the car, here's a guy who was just there. And, and apparently he'd, he'd had interaction with Tupac before is what he said.
0: Right. I guess he had met him, but but that night you're talking about, or previously, because apparently I think he'd, both, met him, I think
1: it, he'd met him before somewhere. And then apparently he had seen him somewhere else that night.
0: That's my understanding. But but it
1: would have been before the shooting. Probably might have been even before the beatdown. I don't know.
0: I'm going to suspect that it was, but he seemed pretty chill in front of the uh, Luxor, even after the beatdown. There
1: was nothing about him that, to me, seemed defensive.
0: Right. He He had no reason
1: to be. (laughs) I mean, his involvement, unless he's just a cool cat and lying through his teeth which i don't think he is he just happens to be depending on how you look at the right or wrong place at the right or wrong time
0: oh and i was saying that Tupac looked pretty chill even after the beatdown at that you know in that video well
1: they won you know it's one thing it's just like history who writes history the winners well they won I mean, the only thing maybe he isn't totally chilled is the video of him going through the casino because he's kind of in a rush.
0: Right, but once he's out... But once he's out,
1: he's over the Luxor and he's changed clothes. I mean, they're getting ready to go do some shows. And there's no reason for him to not be chilled, in my mind. I don't know.
0: I guess he didn't understand the potential...
1: He's not Lots a gang member. If he were a hardcore gang member, I think he'd have understood things a little differently.
0: Well, Trey could have whispered in, his,
1: Trey yeah. whispered in his
0: ear before he wouldn't have whispered in it again.
1: I don't know. I don't know who interacted with who at the Luxor. I know he went. Tupac went to his room. I think, uh, Quincy Jones daughter. Was it, that was his girlfriend at the time.
0: Yeah, maybe even fiance.
1: Yeah. Maybe she was up there in the room. I don't remember, but I just remember the video someone took with their phone down in valet. Right. When so, he's he's chilling there because he's exactly. talking with the girls.
0: Someone had said though that he I mean that one report, and as I said, I've seen so many, was that he told kadata she shouldn't come along specifically because of the beef because of the
1: what well, happened. Yeah, I get that too. Why, why subject her to potential issues? Did he know there was going to be a shooting? I don't know. He's not here to tell us that. Did he suspect maybe there could be some conflict? I don't know. Because of the beat down, you would think, well, there's always that possibility, especially when you look at who all was involved with it. Word. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know that he suspected a shooting was going to happen. If he did, he acted, he didn't act like it from the way people portray him up to the point of the shooting.
0: Well, from what I have researched and listening to a lot of what Shock G used to say, and they, he, they were in a group together. Digital Underground, he said that he was fearless, that he would go, even though in this instance there were a number of people versus Orlando, that he wasn't afraid to go into situations where it was just him.
1: Well, I wouldn't think so. I mean, the history of the shooting in Atlanta. Right. Hello. <laughs> who, who just jumps out and starts doing that?
0: He's a yeah. Yeah, he he, he... I, I don't
1: I'm not saying he didn't have fear, because you're an idiot if you don't have some fear, but I don't think he was afraid to get into it.
0: No. On to volume five. Is the name Dean O'Kelly familiar to you?
1: I want to say Dean O'Kelly ended up going into homicide. I know from what I saw on the transcript, he was in the gang unit then. So, well, there's the answer to that question. Apparently, there was some involvement with them. I just don't remember him.
0: Your take on his testimony?
1: I didn't hear anything spe- come out of it that was anything special. I'm not saying he didn't do what he's supposed to do. I'm just saying I didn't learn anything from it.
0: I'll have to say, nothing really struck me either. Uh,
1: I mean, he did what he was supposed to do that night. okay. But again, from what he testified to, I didn't see anything that jumped out at me.
0: i w- I would have to agree. I mean, he did his job, and um, perhaps in if this goes to trial, there'll be more details about what he he did
1: well if this goes to trial i would think there'll be some other some people involved but you know that's that's going to be well first they got to get the arraignment in
0: (laughs) that probably (laughs) would would help although ross Goodman is saying he's going to plead not guilty. So we'll. well see. Well, and
1: I've always said from the beginning, he's going to plead. not. why would you plead guilty?
0: Right. Unless
1: uh, unless you just want to go to prison and there are people that have done that, but why?
0: It'll, you know, I'm, I'm looking with, uh, with bated breaths. For the next arraignment or the actual arraignment be, without a continuance because i know the judge is not going to play around if, if
1: I, the, from what i saw of that video and from what i've read from the bio you sent me of that judge i don't think she's gonna put up with any more nonsense she wants she wants this to get started
0: yeah and it's it's reasonable because again at first he is. says I have an attorney. Then he says, I don't have an attorney. Well, this really? is
1: going to be what? The third arraignment? Yes. Hello.
0: Yeah. And again, around,
1: when I was working we called that part of the delaying game, that's all that was.
0: What does that mean? What, what would that mean to you?
1: The longer you put it off, the longer things are put off.
0: So what's the advantage?
1: Well, one advantage to putting things off is people die two memories fade. Now, in this case, we're talking a long time ago. So there's a lot of people, there's a lot of dead people and there's a lot of memories that are, that are already at issue. So you are just adding to it. Plus you are not, you're delaying, addressing the issue at hand. Do I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes? If Ross Goodman's going to is, if, he's going to handle this and he already knows that and he's got his investigators already working. It's just giving him time to do what he's got to do because they're he's... going to get, they're going to get discovery from the DA's office, but you got to remember they will do their own stuff too. Sure. He's not going to do it. He's not going to defend someone strictly on the case file that is presented to him. He's going to be, he'll be digging stuff up.
0: Well, he said that he's going to be able to do some impeaching up in here. So well, if, if, that's what,
1: if that's what he said, you know, then I would say, let's stand by and see if it happens.
0: <laughs> and frankly, I can see some opportunities just from afar with only wanting to to be an attorney and working in the city attorney's office in high school. I can yeah. I can see some potential areas where he can go. Yeah,
1: it'll be. It'll be fun. I just hope it doesn't become a media circus.
0: Well, I think that's kind of a given with the the international. Well, I
1: don't know. And I don't know how the Las Vegas courts are today that one time you wouldn't have had that happen.
0: What do you mean?
1: Like what happened in L.A. Superior Court?
0: How do you distinguish that? Because I've covered high profile cases. What to me, that was a media
1: circus. When someone tells me to get in camera frame, that's a circus. If I'm a wit if I'm a witness and you say, would you please get in camera frame? Oh whatever.
0: Who said that? Somebody from the DA I, think it was,
1: it? I It was whoever was swearing me in, I think it was. I don't remember. I just remember, isn't this something?
0: <laughs> well, the public does have a right to see the proceedings and
1: well, your idea of what the public has a right to and what my ideas are a little bit different.
0: But don't you think, though, seriously, folks, you, don't you think that the public has the right to see what happens? I mean, it's one, I've never it heard depend, of that. It,
1: it depends. It's just like the public doesn't have the right to know everything that's in that case file right now. I but, agree with but,
0: you 100%.
1: Okay. Well, there's people that will say the public have the right to know that. But thank what, God. Thank God really? we aren't. Hey, thank God we aren't in the United Kingdom because they wouldn't know anything. It'll all be tabloid news because you go to Europe or all they don't even give you the name of the person
0: well I know in Sweden they if somebody was a suspect they pixelated the face in the newspaper. well
1: and they only give the first name they don't give the last name that's European wide
0: but my point here
1: here we give them the name and their history from childbirth to now (laughs)
0: Well, who you're saying the reporters do that? Yeah. Well, and I that's mean,
1: because it's loud.
0: Well, in my case, I have made posts saying who the judge is because she's the judge.
1: And well, no, as long as you aren't doing anything in any way to endanger that person.
0: No, I'm just saying professionally. And you were okay. even asking about one of the. The prosecutor's background, which you know, I don't know, but but you can go on LinkedIn and find out. You about, can get
1: bios on anybody,
0: right? And I don't think that's something that's a circus. No, I think it's no, good I don't know. think that
1: is. And I think I the circuit. I think the circus is people playing for the camera.
0: Because I wanted people, to know.
1: Who, people play for the camera,
0: right? I wanted to know who Ross Goodman was. I did look oh. at him
1: and you could you should be able to find all kinds of information on Ross Goodman.
0: I did. Yeah. Well,
1: there's no that's not what I'm calling a media circus. What I'm calling a media circus is if you have a trial and people start posturing for the camera and do stuff that they typically wouldn't do if there wasn't a camera in there. And trust me that happens. I've seen it uh, over, I, over my career.
0: I'm sure, but I'm saying there's a distinction between Posturing and whatever people act like, and they certainly have the freedom to do that. Right. Versus, versus the right of a camera to be there to to observe what's happening.
1: Oh, uh, I don't have a problem with the camera being there either. It's okay. what people do because the camera is there.
0: Right. So we so we basically agree.
1: Yeah. No, that's the right. that's the whole thing. I was, you know, I can just say from past history, I've seen some things and. People I'm sure they embarrassed me when I saw what they did because a camera was there.
0: Well, let me tell you this. I've been embarrassed by what I've seen that in the realm of journalism on the Tupac case, embarrassed and astounded by content creators, some people in journalism, I'm astounded too.
1: So well, it's a pop- it's a popular topic and, you know, depending on what they're wanting for their, storyline you know they're going to do certain things and and nothing i can do about it so exactly all i can do is all i can do is say what i know and they be the judge
0: reginald lil burn wright jr
1: you just had to do that didn't you i didn't know what his middle name was i is it lil burn like little burn it's
0: l-i-l-b-u-r-n Almost like a rap name, I suppose. Yeah, it's just
1: what I'm wondering: was that is there a reason for that, or cause I never heard that name before myself. So. But his
0: father has the same middle name as well.
1: Oh, does he? Okay. My, yes, well, I, and his dad's older, so he's from a different era. So
0: right. So it's it's less likely to have been a okay. rap name. And I have okay. met his father.
1: I have too. Met the son. <laughs> yeah, both very
0: cordial to me. Also met Horry Taylor, who Horry Taylor, who was the
1: chief police, police
0: chief. And I'm sure you've met him, too. Were you surprised to see that Reggie, better known as Reggie rather than Reginald, that Reggie testified?
1: No. Why? I figured Reggie Jr. has been on his fair share of podcasts and stuff and expressing things. And is he expressed things through the early investigation. Why not? What I... I think what Reggie Jr. did is he told about himself, a little history about himself, told about how he grew up, his connection to Compton. And I didn't see anything spectacular out of his testimony right now. And I don't think he that he told everything because he wasn't asked everything.
0: Do you think he was brought in to give background on death row
1: I and he also it, talks yeah. about being a cop. Sure. He's because he talks about dirty cops. Well, we knew there were dirty cops involved in the death row side. Uh, he just laying the foundation for everything. And I, I think he did a good job on that. I'm, you know, remember, this is for a grand jury. Now, when you go to trial, there's going to be a different story. And uh, I don't know if if he testifies for the prosecution and then the defense will have a chance to do whatever they do if there's something, if there's something that they wanna question or bring up. I, I don't know.
0: I have but on pretty good authority that you're not one of his favorite people.
1: Well, I don't doubt it, but I'm not here to be in a popularity competition.
0: <laughs> I have to ask, he testified for the grand jury did you inter- ever interview him? And
1: if Not not not, not, a, not a formal interview. I don't think so. I don't remember a formal interview. I remember talking to him, but I don't remember because See, he was at the club. I know that there was attempts to contact different people on Death Row. That were unsuccessful. But I just don't, I don't recall anything with Reggie Jr. I just I don't Do you, Reggie, to me, Reggie Jr. If there was anything he was he knew, he wasn't gonna say it. It's what makes like, you say that? It's just like Suge Knight. Suge Knight came in and gave a statement, and he didn't say diddle. He could have said a lot, but he didn't. And at that time, who was Reggie Wright Jr. He was you, the number, he was basically the number two guy, wasn't
0: he? I don't, I think he's pretty, pretty high up there.
1: Yeah. I would think it, there may have been. Sugar Knight was the CEO or whatever you want to call it. There was a number two guy below him. I think Reggie Wright probably, because he was the head of security, had a little more ear of Suge Knight than the other guy.
0: Well, maybe the fact that he later became the head of death row, yeah,
1: may yeah.
0: show that that was the succession.
1: And he had—I've always said—we were uncomfortable with his ties to Compton, just by his dad, not not by, t- not by Tim Brennan and Robert Ladd. I. I personally had no issues with those two gentlemen. My problem was their boss.
0: And was there anything specific?
1: I just, I just, and this is just from my personal feeling is if I talk to them and give them any further relevant information, their boss is going to come to them to know what happened. I don't know how the organization runs. But to me, if you're talking to your boss, you're either telling him what's going on or you lie to him. I So, see. so my thought is why you put Brennan and Ladd in that position.
0: Now, did you burnish your opinion of Reggie? Reggie, based on your interactions with Frank Alexander,
1: who was no bodyguard. No, because in the beginning there was nothing. Remember, Frank didn't tell the truth in the beginning. It was later on. I got my opinion. I'm not going to speak for Mike. I my opinion came from when we went to Compton,
0: and that opinion was based on.
1: My interaction Oops. with Reggie Senior. How I saw the organization, and what I knew of Reggie Wright Jr. and his affiliation with Death Row. But was there? I was asking: Is was there something specific
0: that happened that made you feel that way?
1: No, 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 no. There was no. Well,
0: there had to have been.
1: I guess. If you want to say specific, is things that happened there in Compton as far as the case file? Because I saw some at things. It. I saw some things. And then later on, I've said it before when the newspaper clipping came on and the Compton officer was in the video holding the, I think it was a death row medallion, and someone calling and saying he worked for death row. And Reggie Jr. admits that he worked for death row. When he was a cop, he admits that they use dirty cops. We knew that they were dirty cops. There's just a lot of things that you go, you know what? Again, I, well, I've said it, I just figured if you don't put people in the position, then they don't have to make that call and Tim Brennan and Robert Ladd were doing a good job on their end, but I didn't trust their boss. I just and it was because of the relationship with Reggie Junior and whether there's a relationship with death row.
0: Now, when you say Reggie said he hired dirty cops, I don't recall reading that.
1: I thought he said something about dirty cops in his testimony. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: I'll have to. uh,
1: Yeah, you'll have to look at that. All I can say is I know that there were cops affiliated with death row and there was question marks about him and i can and i can freely say that because at one time a lieutenant from lapd internal affairs came over to talk to me about people
0: well and i think reggie does make it really clear that he even though he wasn't really supposed to work for death row when he was a cop that he did and he enjoyed the perks
1: well, it's probably extra money. That's one thing.
0: Well, he said the women and the sure, the, sure the events. So that, but I'll have to look through again about him specifically using the words "dirty cops."
1: Yeah, someone did. I thought maybe it wasn't him. I don't know.
0: Okay, I mean, I'll, I'll check it. I'll check it. Yeah, for sure.
1: So yeah, I realized I just brushed through stuff because I was looking for things that was. A major releva- revelation to me, and I wasn't seeing anything.
0: I can dig it. The other thing, because <clears throat> I, I want to chop chop, the bullet hole in the Toyota of neckbone and Buntry was that a revelation, or no?
1: No, we had heard that story. Tell we me had, the story. What means? we had just heard that there was another car that may have been hit, but there was no evidence of it. No one. No one came forward and admitted it. The witnesses in the car behind Suge Knight, it was all bullet gunfire going towards the BMW. The girls, it was gunfire between those that, you know, from the white Cadillac or white car to the BMW. There was no no firm information that said otherwise. That's all there was you know now if buntree would have come forward and said it wouldn't that have been sweet but buntree wasn't saying anything we tried to i know reaching out for buntree once or twice and you tried it, it's sort of like yafufula well uh, we will try oh.
0: and you did you reach out to neckbone too
1: i think neckbone got arrested during the compton search warrants.
0: Did you have a chat?
1: No, tried to have a chat with him in the parking lot. Remember right, wrong or indifferent. I did, I had no interest in talking to anybody in front of anybody else, but me and Mike,
0: in other words, you didn't want to talk in front of Compton PD.
1: Correct. And again, it comes back to, I'm not concerned about Tim Brennan and Robert Ladd. I'm concerned about where it goes from there. And that 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 was a decision that was made early on in Compton. I says, we don't want to. There's no sense doing it because you know it's just like the story that I didn't talk to Orlando Anderson. Well, you've seen the video that says otherwise. It was told, in my story. I've told you that I did. And Orlando didn't really say well. His one revelation was he said he was there with his uncle, which kind of can be of some interest today, especially.
0: Right. Although he would had several uncles, apparently.
1: Well, and that's just it. So, so which uncle are you talking about? But now that all this information is out, it kind of is interesting.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Next, we'll go to Ingrid Stokes.
1: Yeah, I did not know who that was until I went through it. And it says, oh, she's one of the four girls.
0: One of the four women that we talked about earlier. Yeah. in a Podcast.
1: And, you and- know, and this is something maybe I'm just remembering the statements because I don't, I'd love to see the statements and see if my name's at the bottom or is it Mike that oh. did, the, did the actual interviews. You know, because when you do a taped interview at the end, you close it out. In fact, in the beginning, you have a little blip, too. So there would be a name if we were both there, then both of our names would be on there. I just I don't remember, but there's something about those girls. I remember them sitting on the curb thinking, oh, boy, this is just going to kind of like the four guys when that I first talked to now, but these four girls thus far are going to be just people happening to be going by and they were dressed to go out.
0: She was in Gucci and Versace.
1: Yeah, you read, you read what she said. I says, well, I can get it. I I get it. If you're in something that's expensive and you're sitting on a dirty curb, uh you know and it and, was hot and, and they maybe said maybe people- not and then maybe not being treated quite right right because you know now we now you're going in trying to save your ass because I'm sorry guilt by association right <laughs> you know just- and, and I get it
0: she also said that she didn't feel like police in general treated black people very well.
1: Well, That was another issue. And I have no idea what her history is. You know, I don't, I personally don't think I mistreated anybody. If you look at it, I don't know anything that someone says where they felt they were being mistreated by the cops that night. Well, I wasn't there for it.
0: Yeah, you weren't there for Leonard Jefferson, who was treated pretty much like a suspect and still came back to help.
1: And he came back and he was very straightforward.
0: Right. And he didn't have to.
1: No. And those girls, from what I remember, didn't have to either.
0: Right. Because they weren't under, no one was under arrest.
1: No. And there was one thing that came in there that I just don't remember. It was something about being taken downtown, the the terminology. Right. I don't remember taking anybody to the office to interview them.
0: I was I, wondering I, about that.
1: Because if I'm not taking Frank Alexander, Malcolm Greenidge, Katari Cox, and Yafu Fula downtown, why would I take four nondescript girls that happen to be driving by? That you're not
0: certain, yeah, about what they But,
1: but I don't, I, you know, I'm only going off what I remember. I would love to see their statements, because that would tell me a lot as far as, one where it happened and who did it who did the interviews
0: because she just very much strikes you that she was just out with her friends out to have some fun you read her statement
1: that's exactly and they were planning on going to the club
0: right the other thing that struck me about her testimony and i i want to know what else struck you but that she didn't sitting there not only was she uncomfortable you know, in an uncomfortable place, getting her finery, Gucci and Versace, dirty, but there were eyes watching in her mind. She didn't want to be seen as a snitch or a witness that Shug might somehow become aware of.
1: I don't, I don't doubt that they had I, people somewhere watching. I don't know if if they're that organized, they might have. And I get where she's coming from. So she was, was she from LA or Compton? I believe so. LA, right? That's my understanding. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, she's the only one that could answer that question as far as if she felt, and she's saying that, so.
0: Yeah, she did. And it's under, she was afraid of Suge, which Probably you know,
1: keep in mind that the irrational. time we were doing the investigation on Flamingo, that street was closed, so it would have had to been somewhere a little bit of distance. But I don't know.
0: But you know, it, but it's understandable that no matter if she was in the <laughs> stratosphere, yeah, there was a possibility that that she would be perceived as a snitch of some kind, and she was concerned. I mean, I think yeah. it's logical.
1: And I get that. Especially if you don't like cops.
0: (laughs) Well, and she may have had, I mean, we 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 have gone over this topic before, and I know at times it made you uncomfortable. But see, you know, I said you you can't ignore an elephant in the room. If people are saying that they feel uncomfortable, we need to talk about it. So we did. So and she's an example. Um, well, I
1: already knew before I, and like I said, I swore I talked to them there, but now it's some. Well, maybe again, I, maybe Mike did. I don't know. I just seem to remember. I can visually remember seeing them sitting on the curb, thinking, "This is going to be. <laughs> this, this is going to really be. Good. This is going to start difficult."
0: <laughs> Yeah. And that, that wasn't even knowing how they were treated because
1: well, I didn't were... know if, if they were mistreated before. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, because I think one said in an interview I saw, I don't know if it was on A and E that some somebody in law enforcement had used the N-word or you know. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't remember that coming up. If it was, I just don't remember it. I, I mean, would it, like. I would love to see their statements, though, because I do remember, and I don't remember which ones. L- looked at some photo lineups later on, but I just don't remember.
0: Well, I do know someone who does have the statements.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, well.
0: I don't. I don't know that we're on very good terms. So. Yeah. Oh well, uh, that's life. I'm Lennon Ozizwe reporting. Tupac's murder was his case. Reported, hosted, the music, art, and all that stuff was created by moi. Special thanks to Lowell TC Wundla, the creative director emeritus. For extra content, go to tupacmurderpodcast.com. Coming up next... Did you or did you not establish that Detective Poole was accurate in his theory of the Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur murders? Question, answer, his theory was accurate that they were related. Question, that they were related? Okay, ultimately you read Greg Kading's book. Answer, I have not read Mr. Cading's book.
1: Okay. How do you
0: interpret that in terms of, to me, it seemed like he's just saying his theory's accurate that the murders were related.
1: Well, he's saying Russ Poole's theory. Correct. Yeah.
0: Take one. You've been listening to Leonard Azizwe reporting. Tupac's murder was his case. An Azizwe T. original. All rights reserved.